Welcome to Risk Sleep Repeat, a podcast that features influential guest speakers from the world of fire, health and safety. We're going to focus on trust-based safety, owning and embracing risk and the importance of people over paperwork. Hosted by me, Adam Clark, Managing Director and Mike Stevens, CEO of Praxis 42. If you're a fire, health and safety professional, join us for inspirational conversations about the future of our industry. Slipologist Christian Harris became passionate about preventing accidents and injuries due to suffering from a severe accident himself. Founder of Slip Safety Services, Christian's focus is now on slips, trips and falls. He is on a mission to prevent half a million plus slip and fall accidents annually across the globe. So I think for a starting point really is if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of a an overview of your work experience and, and if there are any kind of key milestones in your journey to get where you where you are. Sure thing. So Christian Harris is my name and my business is Slip Safety Services and not many people know this but the leading cause of people going to A&E and the leading cause of insurance claims is slips, trips and falls. So we specialise in helping clients to prevent those accidents from happening and to defend more claims. And I've been working in this field for uh, just over 10 years. And prior to that, I was in the kind of business consulting space. uh, And then I'd done some entrepreneurial stuff before that as well. But I kind of got to the point with what I was doing previously, where I found it interesting, uh, sort of academically interesting, shall we say. um, But I felt as if I wasn't really adding much value to the world. So I wanted to do something that without being sort of too altruistic about it was was making a difference. Couple that with I had a bad experience of being run over in 2012 and you sort of fuse those two together and I ended up kind of getting quite interested in the world of safety. And then when I did the uh, sort of analysis of the data, like I shared, this is the biggest area of, of, of issue. So I thought, well, let's, let's focus in on that and try and make a big uh, difference in the world. So I've had a kind of varied career but certainly focusing on this world of safety for for the last sort of 10 years or so and running my own business for coming up to half of that. So that obviously introduces some interesting challenges and um, and struggles along the way as well. Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. And it's interesting. So my, my wife was actually run over by a car probably about close to 15 years ago mm. now. And, um, you know, interesting seeing that experience and how that that also shaped her and gave her some some kind of drive and, and determination and focus to really want to circumstances for me as we were on the pavement and a car came round the corner too fast and lost control and mounted the curb so you know it's not like we were not, not that you should be at risk on a pedestrian crossing but you know we weren't on the road we were on the pavement but yeah the, she was stood next to me or walking down the road or down the pavement next to me and the car sort of hit me so I actually have a total blackout of the whole thing but she remembers it kind of very vividly so she had that sort of mental scarring of you know living through the accident if that's the right word whereas for me it was obviously the physical injuries and then the sort of for me the mental struggle was afterwards because you know once that sort of thing happens you become very aware of the speed of cars traveling down the road um and uh yeah it's it's it does sort of stay with you for some time yeah no absolutely and i think that the difficulty is that you know recovery both recovery physical is one thing recovery mental is another thing and we often put too much pressure on ourselves that well well I must be better by x and you know that that is so different from person to person to person and yeah, yeah it's it's really really difficult and, and outside of just having to deal with you know a situation like you you did even people now with 
struggling with, with with mental health. It is, and I think the when <clears throat> when something like this happens to you or to somebody very close to you, as it did for you, it does give you that new level of appreciation. Because I think one of the biggest blockers that I see, or one of the biggest hurdles that we need to overcome from a health and safety professional perspective, is that feeling that we're doing okay and it probably won't happen to us, which actually statistically, you know, it, it probably won't. Uh, but obviously, once you do have something like that happen to you personally or someone very close to you, it gives you a whole different um, slant, a whole different perspective on on risk and, and safety. And, and you sort of become very much more attuned to doing everything you can to be preventative because, you know, having lived through that, I know how horrendous it is and so I want to stop other people having to live through anything kind of similar because you know it's it's just not nice. No when we're trying to work out what is our approach how do we go and do things often I, I'm talking to people about well, what's their why and what's their purpose and you know unfortunately you've got that absolutely nailed down through your through your experience um, but I, I suspect you know post kind of re- recovery it's you know giving you that that passion and that fire to Go and do what you go and do what you are doing, and to and to carry that forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, what I love about what I do is that you wake up every morning, and I'm sure you're the same, Adam. You wake up every morning, and you kind of know that you're going to be helping people and doing something of value and benefit to the world, which is which keeps you going in the tough times and gives you that drive to to keep persevering because you know that you're you're doing something much much bigger than yourself yeah and and certainly a lot better purpose than um we're going to go and extract a lot of barrels of oil out of the uh out of the sea today that's a it's a harder one to uh, uh to, to drive the passion for um so uh you know in in my experience where i think kind of starting to see a change now where whenever we were talking about anything in the world of of health and safety the, the driver was well you need to do this because legislation says you do and you know there's some punishments if you don't do that and then it was kind of well actually if you don't do if you don't do this then there's going to be some sort of civil claims which might hit your hit your finance and it's it's nice to start to see that people are actually starting to look at well actually forget those two let's just focus on people first i I've, i'm really passionate about this point and it's something that i am planning to do a lot of work on which is to try to draw the link between safety inputs and business performance and profitability because my my view is that if you speak to any CEO or any board about safety you're kind of losing them as soon as you mention the word safety and but if you start to talk to them about high performance then their their ears prick up and their eyes go wide and they're all excited because everybody buys into the fact that you want a high performance team you know I want a high performance team uh, in, in my business, I'm sure you do in yours. So to me, what we need to do as an industry is to evidence and document and prove uh, irrefutably the link between what we can deliver in terms of safety through the inputs that we can provide and the outcome of high performance. And we, intuitively, we all know there, that link exists, but the, the, there's a lack of proof and evidence. And I think actually for the safety community, we should be banding together and joining up to try to create as much evidence around that link as possible because it doesn't have to be something that's from our company to prove that point. You know, a very good case study from another business could be the tipping point to make a difference and change people's attitudes. So I think there's a lot of work we need to do around that. Um, it's a shift in attitude, as you say, and it's also a shift in skill set too. So you, you need to then become, you know, able to to, to pitch uh, and able to influence uh, and able to educate and all those other kind of soft skills, which I think are really valuable. Oh, massively agree with you there. And I and I wonder if that's often an area that gets overlooked. You know, we 
people who start careers in in the safety world you know it's about going on and getting your underpinning knowledge getting experience getting some practical you know, application of that out in the out in the field but I often think that that part of it is missed it's well you know how do you actually spend some time understanding how a business or an organization runs you know if you've never been exposed to finance finance departments and um, and how do people deal with how do people deal with budgets? So when you're making some recommendations about some some measures, it's like well, that's that's great, but how is that going to get funded? Um, how you how how does the makeup of a business business work? And you know, to your point, then in terms of you know persuasion and how do you pitch? Like you say, it's I, I think it's very and I've, I've been there. <laughs> talking from experience i've scored own goals when i've had an audience and i haven't i haven't aimed it in the right way but that was mostly because i'd never i hadn't even hadn't thought about it i hadn't been taught it i hadn't experienced it and it was learning by oh well don't think that went as well as it could have no and it's a travesty in my opinion that only about 30 percent of safety professionals have a budget that they control uh, or any sort of meaningful budget so i think that would you know from a from a business uh, management perspective it would be greatly beneficial to uh, give more trust and accountability and management of a budget to the safety team and actually allow them to do what they need to do without having to necessarily uh, be, play the role of kind of advocate and champion, uh, allow them to actually run a P&L, make some decisions, be accountable. I think that would give you know great exposure from, from the safety professional's perspective into how the wider business works as well. So that's something I'd really recommend people sort of strive to, to achieve. From your experience, then, where we've got people who are you know, perhaps coming into that that role, where either they might they might have a budget or they're going to going to have one, you know, what how are they can how can they focus their development on outside of their you know subject matter expertise? Um, how can they you know, kind of expose themselves or or what kind of knowledge do they need to go and focus on? You know, to help them you know, be prepared for the times when they've got to you know, sell sell safety, sell um, their strategies or their their objectives at a senior level. I think having an open mind uh, and being curious is really important and asking the right kinds of questions. So think about, you know, who can help you to get the knowledge that you feel you might need or who can you collaborate with, whether that be internally or externally with key stakeholders. Look at it almost like a sales role. So if you're in sales, one of the key things you get taught is to figure out not only what's in it for the organisation um, as a whole, but also what's in it for that person that needs to make that decision? What's in it? What's their personal gain? And so think about, you know, what benefits you can bring them or what might encourage them to help you because they're going to see some kind of benefit from it as well over and above just that sort of altruistic benefit of, of, of helping out. So build those alliances, I suppose, between your internal and external stakeholders through having that right kind of mindset, being open to uh, to, to taking the risk and, and asking questions because risk, you know, remember, should be uh, not just seen as a negative thing, it's a positive thing uh, as well. Uh, and think about how you can build that relationship with them by supporting them to achieve some kind of objectives that they've got as well. Because if you can make that a win-win relationship, uh, then you'll get back uh, exactly what you put in. So from a philosophical sort of perspective, those are some of the things that I would advise people to do. And how do you find then kind of looking at the company or the organizations um, their own their own purpose and using you know what you're trying to achieve uh, 
and pointing it towards towards that as a, as a convincing tool. That works well. So, for example, in my business, we whenever we do a proposal uh, for any uh, paid for work, uh, we always include a section in our proposal which is sort of called background. And pretty much on the background, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, the company's website and or uh, media that they've put out or whatever it might be uh, and finding words that they've used uh, that explains their mission, vision, values, uh, etc., their, their attitude towards safety and relaying that back to them as a bit of context. So we're not just saying, you know, here's this problem, here's a, here's a price for it. We're saying in the context of what you as an organisation stand for, X, Y and Z, here are some issues that we've identified working together with you and then here's a solution and it's going to tick this, this and this box. So it's absolutely important to understand where the company stands and I think going a stage beyond that even is, is you know, within reason to hold them to account a little bit for it because many companies will say safety is our number one priority uh, and then they won't always act. Um, they won't, you know, they won't walk the walk, they'll just talk the talk. So you can use that as a bit of a stick sometimes to say, say you've said safety is really important. Here's a clear thing. Here's the here's the return on investment. Here's the benefits. It all stacks up financially, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Surely it only makes logical sense to to do that. So definitely think about what the company's attitude is and sort of relay that to them uh, as a way of making your case. I found it it can throw people off quite a lot when you're effectively quoting themselves back back to them and they're like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> That's um, yeah. You've done your you've done your research, uh, but really quite really quite powerful. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm often looking at well, where where do my company's uh, values over overlap? Because it's a good it's a good starting point of, of of building a relationship. And you know, like yourself, when we're coming from a kind of consultancy perspective, it's you know, for, for us, it's about well, once I've got a new relationship, it's how can I you know how can I put the effort into it, and how can I build this relationship over over time because it's beneficial for for both parties and. And it's also looking at well, you know, you might want something here, but how can I demonstrate that actually we've provided you you value over time, and we can see that that journey is actually um, you know it's it's going in the right direction. There was a study done a few years ago, and I don't um, know the exact statistics because I heard about this on a on a podcast. Ironically, because I'm quite a big fan of podcasts, but it was um, in the advertising world, and it was kind of a client study as to why clients chose a particularly a particular advertising agency. And they asked them all sorts of factors that weighed into their decision making. And actually, the leading one was that they, the um, advertising agency took the trouble to understand our uh, worldview. And that was the differentiator in that market. And I think that that's an opportunity to be a differentiator, both from a personal perspective, if you're building your career, as I say, engaging with people and understanding what they're looking to achieve and so on. Uh, but also, if you're thinking about a business to business opportunity uh, as well, take the trouble to understand the worldview. Uh, of the um, organization or the person that you're trying to deal with yeah if we look at the classic um you know growth growth mindset and when you've got these opportunities how do you how do you find people can be or feel more comfortable pushing themselves when they're at those those fork fork in the road moments where i can i can push myself here and uh, and really have a go at it or i can you know i can convince myself that maybe i maybe i shouldn't do that I think there's a couple of mindsets that you need to have in place. So a couple of things I would bear in mind. Uh, One is, imagine if you had £10 million in your bank account and therefore your decision-making wouldn't be on the basis of, you know, monetary gain for you or your business um, immediately. It would be on the basis of, um, I'm secure financially, I'm comfortable, I don't need uh, this thing to necessarily happen 
uh, whether that's you know a decision made by somebody or it's a sale or it's a promotion or whatever it is and therefore you free yourself up to have the that, that sort of with or without your energy as I call it where you know you're up to cool things in the world it's going to happen with or without this person uh, and actually you have a more relaxed demeanor uh, and so you get more stuff done because you come across in a more relaxed and a more positive and a more personable kind of way so that's that's the first thing that I would say that would that would really help in terms of uh, you know how to deal with those kind of inflection points. And then the second thing I'd say is you have to, and, and, and I think for the audience listening to this, they can buy into this. If you're a biro salesman or a used car salesman, it's a bit more difficult. But think about the fact that whatever it is you're doing, you kind of have to use an analogy the cure for cancer. So we're up to really cool stuff. It's going to be really helpful. It's my duty to explain to this person what it is I can help them with because actually it's like curing them from cancer that's how strongly I feel about whatever it is I'm up to in the world and and then that gives you that real determination and drive to to push through but from a place of service so you're not doing it from a self-serving perspective you're doing it from the perspective that you're doing it for their benefit and it's in their interests to know about this or do this or change this or improve that Uh, and so if you can come at things from you know, with those two perspectives, I think um, that gives you the resilience and the confidence and the the clarity of, of thinking uh, to sort of push through any sort of sticky moments like that. And how about dealing with internal? Uh, I suppose lots of people have come up come up by different names here. Uh, the inner the inner chimp being one of that that person that the inner critic throwing you. Uh, throwing you all these different curveballs and um, and making you doubt yourself how do you because a lot of the time we we create the pressure ourselves it's not necessarily pressure that's that's put on to us from um, you know from the team or or the business it's it's down to us and I, I think your, your your point there in terms of the thinking about what the purpose is and you know for me and and clearly for you when you're focusing on people and what you're trying to do for people both in you know preventing life-changing injuries and you know ensuring you know simple things like you know if you sat in an office for five days a week that you don't suffer long-lasting pain that's a really powerful motor motivator um so in your experience how have you kind of managed those situations you know perhaps when you've had to go and deliver a you know a speech or a presentation and um you know how do you calm yourself before you go and deliver very good question and you know I'm not immune, as nobody is, to that kind of self-talk or the self-sabotage or the, as you say, the inner chimp or the sort of devil on your shoulder or whatever uh, analogy you want to to use. You know, that happens to me all the time. Um, I just have to try to lift myself out of that perspective by focusing on, you know, where are we going? What am I doing? Why is it important that I do it rather than someone else doing it, for example? What can I bring that nobody else can bring uh, to this particular uh, talk or this discussion or this podcast or whatever it is um, and sort of if you can get yourself into that, that sort of higher state of, of thinking uh, it's not easy to do um, but I think that's where having clarity over you know vision mission values is really important and recapping that um, having a plan uh, I mean I don't have a I don't go to the extent of writing down you know what am I going to achieve in this 12 months but I kind of have a, a longer term vision that I'm inspiring to and so that helps to kind of keep me aligned to, to what I'm doing. And actually, if you get the, the negative thinking in, in your brain, you know, sometimes that can be uh, a good thing because it makes you think again about things. And so you shouldn't just try and discount it. But the internal argument, I suppose, the internal discussion is, yes, but 
X, Y, Z. This is what I'm up to. This is where I'm going. This is why this is important. This is why I should be the person to do it and why I'd be doing a disservice to others if I didn't do, do this today. And then you can have that kind of internal discussion and you'll find that that side of the of the argument will typically win uh, if you have that kind of logical uh, discussion. Saying that, I am a believer in gut feeling. So whenever I've made decisions against my gut uh, in the past, I've often, more often than not, I've proved proven wrong. Um, so I think you do listen, need to listen to your gut, particularly about other people. You know, if I've had some bad experiences in business before um, where I've trusted people and that's come back to, to haunt me. And I, I've done, I've trusted people sort of against my gut instinct. So I think there's a difference between your gut instinct and the sort of negative talk. But I think it is, it's important to sort of listen to your body and understand, you know, how you're feeling and what you're doing. I'll give you one example now, I have the ability to do this because I run my own business. Not everybody can do this, but I'm quite attuned now to how I'm feeling. And actually, humans are not productive all the time. Humans are fallible. And I now know if I'm having one of those days where actually I'm not going to be very productive. And so I'll just kind of take the opportunity to go for a walk or go and have a game of snooker or, you know, call a friend or, or something like that and just try and release myself from that situation to try to kind of build up a store of more positive energy from somewhere else to then try to come back to to the tasks i think it's important to kind of understand how you're feeling and listen to yourself and, and, and deal with that in, a, in, in an appropriate way as well Presenteeism is is a cancer on productivity, um, and again, we you know we, we talked a bit about productivity and how important productivity is, and how everybody wants high performance. So recognizing that in yourself is is, is a great trait, I believe. Um, but also, when you're in the position of managing other people, allowing them to recognize that uh, in themselves, you know, is a very valuable thing because you're better off having somebody takes the morning off and recharges their batteries and gets the energy back to, to use your kind of expression and then comes back and has a productive afternoon than somebody sitting at their desk for the whole day being present but not actually doing anything and so they're going to be happier more motivated the output of their work will be better in the afternoon that they are happy and motivated and productive and overall it's better actually as a, as a leader when you're in that in that phase it can be quite infectious going going the other way um because i I find when people are reading off of me and they can they can read that you know for whatever reason I'm not in a, not necessarily in a great place that that morning you think like oh okay well actually then I don't if that's going to infect them then I shouldn't be I shouldn't be here right right now um because you know ultimately one of the jobs of being that being a leader is to you know is to is to motivate and in, and inspire and if if you look like you've um, had 3 hours sleep and you've slept in a hedge uh you know it's not it's not the most inspiring thing to the rest of the to the rest of the team and if you're not willing to say actually look you know if I'm not in a in a good place then I'm going to I'm going to take myself out of it um if you don't do that then how can you ask other people to do it I think trust is really important and my philosophy on trust is that I give trust very freely and openly and without condition and then I take it back as and when I need to. Um, a lot of people have a reverse view, which is that they feel as if trust should be built and earned over time. And to me, I think you just have to start with the best intentions uh, and trust, you know, whoever it might be that you're working with in any capacity, um, that they're going to fill their end of the bargain, for want of a better term. Uh, and then if they don't, then of course you can change your perspective. But I think if you start the relationship off with that level of trust. So if you have a team member, if, as you say, if they're not feeling uh, up to it that day, just trust them to 
understand themselves and go away and, and figure that out in a sort of mature and, and grown-up way, I think that's a much better way of trying to deal with it than than the reverse, which would be that you know you're keeping everybody on a tight leash. And I think that style of sort of management of people is is, is long gone now. No, I, I agree with you, and I think you know building on building on trust there. I think when you've got you know, decisions to be to be made, sometimes it's also about trusting yourself to make that decision and and for for me at times when I've had hard decisions to make it's trying to remove myself out of the decision making and look at it as actually what's my role and what does the business need me to do so it's not about what I want to do it's about what does the business need me to do and that helps me go and go and do it and and also when I've had uh you know making decisions within teams where actually it's the you're holding yourself accountable to the team to make that decision you've you've all discussed and agreed that that's the way forward so it's now not about you you're just the vessel for going and implementing that that decision and then you know the more that you do that and like anything like anything with experience you'll naturally feel more comfortable with it yeah we're going through growth in our business at the moment and we're at the point now where i've become blocker for a lot of things because a lot of decisions are still being filtered through me or sort of final decisions are being filtered through me so literally um tomorrow as we're recording this we've got a big team meeting and actually we're gonna be agreeing a new sort of system process structure etc and um for how to sort of trust and give power and empower uh the uh the rest of the team to kind of go ahead go away and, and just make these decisions without kind of consulting me or without asking for for a sign off um, and I'm really excited by that because I'm getting sort of mentally dragged down by having to make all these decisions or, you know, peruse and sign off and stuff. And actually, I don't think it's needed because I trust them to get on with it and do it. And if something goes wrong, then I'm happy to step in and we'll try and figure it out. But I think actually, you know, that will be really freeing for both them and me and, and the business. Oh, that's 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 great to hear. Um, it's really, I think it's a really important step, especially when you're looking at looking at growth, because you know there's only one of you, and you only have so much time in the in the day. Yeah. And and I want to spend my time doing podcasts. Well, exactly, exactly. That's um, that's far more. Yeah, going and spreading the spreading the good word. So you know, I've I've found similar things when trying to empower empower people, and it's it's difficult because. When it comes to decision making, you know, you can only really give people a, f- a framework of, well, here's here's what I'd like you to make decisions on. But what you can't do is write a 200 page book on every possible decision that they might need to make and what to do in that particular that particular circumstance. And you know, I I, I try and say to people, like, I'd, I'd rather you make a decision if you if you can. If you can't make it on your own, and if it's something that you really think is important, well, then you know, discuss it. Come with a you know, here's here's what our thinking is, and test it. But you know, it's that. Well, I don't want you to test it every time. If it's something that's that's a minor decision, if we're talking about changing the mugs, color of the mugs, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, just I'm not, not bother, just get on with it. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting when you go through that kind of decision making cycle. Often people get stuck in various different parts of it. You know, there's some people that want to go straight to the decision, and then you and then, and then we ask them the question, okay, so how did you come to this decision? And they're just like, well, I did. You've got other people on the flip side of that that love to do all the analysis, you know, all the analysis, put all the data together, and then they can't they can't shape it into that last last little little bit. And you know, if we're looking at things like you know putting a business ca- business case together, the findings of a risk assessment um, strategy, or, or something you go know, forward, having that that business case and 
looking at it being well-rounded requires you know a number of elements to 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 come together and then also for it to be able to be delivered you know in in, in the right way so uh you know any um any advice for people when they're looking at sort of going through that going through that process and um and what might help them well, I think if we're thinking about a business case specifically, fundamentally, you need to go back to first principles and think of why is this business in existence? And the, the reality is, even though we might say other things uh, in our uh, in our in our vision and our mission statements and all this sort of stuff, fundamentally, the business is in business to make money. So therefore, you need to have that context of everything needs to boil down to including something around the finances of the business. So how is this going to um, save us money, make us money, um, deliver efficiencies, deliver productivity, drive better performance, um, improve our culture, which drives, the, the, you know, but you've got to have a mindset around there's got to be some pounds and shillings in there somewhere. Um, so I would always try to figure out a way of getting that data in there in one way, shape or form and think about making it as much as possible into a no-brainer decision. Um, and like we were just talking about around uh, decision making and coming with solutions not problems you know come do that thinking for uh, the people that are going to have to make that decision because um, they're typically going to have loads and loads of stuff on their plate they're not going to know the detail of this uh, you need to be able to present to them something that's kind of compelling uh, interesting uh, clear logical and actually makes a, a financial sense uh, in, in my view, That's the analogy that I use often, actually, when it comes to health and safety professionals, is that you have to, and I'm going to put this into reverse. So, if I'm speaking to a health and safety professional, what I would be saying to them is, you know, you, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Health and Safety Professional, are a general practitioner. You're a GP or a family doctor or whatever way where you want to look at it. You have to know about every single thing under the sun because you have to be able to diagnose whatever the problem is in your business. So, whether it's you know fire or legionella or slips and trips or manual handling or any a raft of other things you have to know something about that to enable to enable you to diagnose a problem um, but you're probably not going to be in the position to have deep knowledge in all of those areas because if your knowledge is a mile wide then on average it can only ever be an inch deep so therefore that's when somebody who's a bit more specialist uh, like say me in our, in our field can come in and be effectively the surgeon or the consultant using the medical analogy uh, and go inch wide mile deep and really provide you with that in-depth support to go and solve that problem so flipping that on its head from a business case perspective you need to imagine that the person that's making the decision is the gp they're going to have a million things on their list they're going to know about all sorts of um, issues going on uh, and they're not going to be focused on i have the detail about whatever it is you're coming to them with so you need to then put yourself in the position of being that surgeon or that specialist uh, consultant who comes with all of that information comes with all of the the key bullet points comes with all of the data and presents it to them in such a way that it's kind of a no-brainer decision for them to make. And the only thing that I could think there is that's much easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's funny, I like, love your analogy there because I found myself certainly over the last couple of weeks actually using the term finger on the pulse quite a lot. And I think that's, you know, that's from the executive's perspective is what they'll be doing, you know, whether it be, you know, finance, production, uh, people, you know, they, they they have to have a finger on the pulse on on everything. And like you say, they're when they're making decisions, they're having to make decisions quite often at often at pace on things that they're not subject matter experts on. But they need to be able to trust in their subject matter experts that they're being given the right the right advice. And I think interesting when you when you were explaining it there, um, the the one thing that 
I thought would be worth picking up on then is about being concise is when you've got that slot and that that slot might not necessarily be very long how can you get that message across uh, concisely and what are the the pitfalls or the own goals that you can or you should try and avoid doing when you've got that audience so being concise is really a fundamentally important part of communication um and think of it like this um I'll give you two analogies. So how many podcasts have you listened to where, and I used to do this on my own podcast and I've changed it now, where the first question is, tell us a little bit about yourself. And there's a really big difference between somebody that can clearly and concisely and with a lot of clarity articulate who they are and what they do in 45 seconds to 60 seconds versus somebody who answers that question by babbling and gobbling on about their life story for seven or eight minutes. Think of it if you were at a dinner party and you were being introduced to 12 people around a table, who are you going to remember? The person that's clear um, and, and concise and gets their point across in a powerful way, or the person that sort of babbles on and talks about loads of nonsense and talks for so long that you kind of forget what they even said at the start, you're going to remember the first one. So a couple of examples there of why being uh, clear and concise is, is really important. Don't use 20 words when four words uh, would do. Don't use long words. Don't use jargon. You know, you need to be thinking of, I think you said this earlier, but thinking of explaining it to a five-year-old almost and make it very, very clear. So if you look at, um, you know, as an example of that, some of the stuff I do on LinkedIn, you might see the odd long word, but you won't see, it'll be typically, you know, a sentence or two and a paragraph. It'll be a bit written a bit like a tabloid newspaper. That's not to say that I wouldn't be capable of writing, you know, something that's more academic and, and longer form and so on and so forth. You know, I did that at university. Um, I could do that, but that, that wouldn't serve the purpose of getting those communication points uh, across. So um, take the trouble uh, and take the time to think about how you can get your point across uh, in as few words as possible, and that would really that will really help you to educate, engage, influence people um, throughout your career. There's a good app that I use called Otter.ai, which is a transcription app that you can use on your phone. So if I'm writing an article, for example, or something like that, then what I'll typically do is I'll think about the sort of key bullet points and I might just jot those down in an email and I'll go for a walk and I will talk about this article so I won't sort of sit down and type it I'll actually talk it talk it through as a first draft and that way you actually find yourself using sentence constructions and words and expressions that you would use in spoken English because you literally are speaking uh, the English as you're doing it and that, that avoids that pitfall of kind of flowery language and don't get me wrong I, I, I like a good adjective and I like a good um, analogy and all that stuff and you can add those things in but I think that you should do you should use those kinds of points as accents I suppose rather than the, the sort of body of what you're doing keep it clear keep it brief um, shorter words are better shorter sentences are better use fewer words and you'll find that actually your, your communication success rate will go will go a lot higher if you need practice if you need uh, help with how you're doing a pitch and you're an organisation that's got a large sales team, go and have a chat with them um, because that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing day in, day out. They're understanding needs. They're being they're being concise and they're coming up with a solution. And the ones that are effective, we've got lots of uh, lots of advice and guidance that they can uh, that they can give. And and I love your point about um, you know reading it out loud. As I often say to people, if you've got to go and give a 
you know, give some kind of a speech. Well, the inner monologue that's going through your head or might be written down in notes somewhere. Um, have you actually re- have you actually said it out loud? Because sometimes when we say things out loud, it's like, oh god, that's that's terrible. I, I need to need to rejig that. If it, well, if it's a t- if it becomes a tongue twister, for example, then that's that's ridiculous because you're just putting yourself under huge pressure to deliver a tongue twister. Um, just you know, split it up into sentences. For people who are looking to, to step up the, the career ladder, do you think that having a strong profile and, and, and having good engagement on LinkedIn can, can help when the time's right? Absolutely. I think the key thing about LinkedIn is to actually use it to give your unique point of view and give your opinion and give your perspective. And you have to be willing to accept that you're not going to bring everyone to your cause. You are going to get some people that disagree with you because every opinion has a disagreement to it. I think, you know, we're very polarised in the world at the moment and that's fine. So you have to be willing to accept that not everybody's going to agree with you, but then that enables discussions to happen and um, you can practice your your empathy and you can practice your um, influence skills by trying to have those discussions and see if you can change people's minds or whatever it is. But I think having that perspective, having that point of view, um, putting yourself out there, and that's how you demonstrate that you're somebody of substance. That's how you demonstrate that you're somebody that really cares. And it's how you demonstrate that you're somebody that has a, a perspective and a point of view uh, and an expertise is by putting it out there in the world because information is just so readily available now you need to as it were jump on the train and, and ride down the tracks and i'd certainly recommend everybody to get involved on, on linkedin for sure no absolutely and you've you know you've clearly got experience of you know there's definitely ways not to do it you know trying to steamroller steamrolling people with your your opinions you know you're you're already converted you know you know what it looks like but going in there and just ramming it down someone's throat isn't necessarily going to get the outcome that you that you want you're likely more likely that someone's going to react to that and um you know you, you won't be invited invited back no, you have to um you have to meet people where they're at and is one thing so you have to have that empathy of understanding where the, you know people's worldview as we talked about a bit before and, and their perspective on things and you've got to meet them there rather than meet them where where you are um and, and also if everybody in the world knew everything that i know about slip strips and falls then they'd all be doing everything that i would recommend them to do already if you know what i mean and therefore um, we would be in that better space. So clearly people don't know uh, as much as me. So you have to just understand that, you know, people are coming at it from, from a different perspective. And the second thing you said there is that you don't want to annoy people. So, you know, people don't want to hear that they're rubbish or they're, you know, I don't know if I can swear on this, so I'll just say rubbish, that they're, that they're not very good at something, that they're terrible at something. People don't want to hear that. What people want to hear is, you know, um, I get where you are. I get the challenges that you're facing um i can see that you know you're doing your best um but actually there might be things you can do that could improve things even more um you know and that's a much sort of softer more appropriate um receptively uh taken conversation so thinking about things from the perspective of not your rubbish uh, i want to get you to be great but actually you're doing pretty well now but can we go from good to great uh, is is a good thing to bear in mind when you're trying to engage and uh, and influence people and cajole them. Totally agree, and and you know I, I always talk about the you know you're at the start of the journey. You can't go back and change where you where you are, but you can influence what's what's going on forward. And it may be that you know your journey has to take a little bit longer because perhaps you haven't got the resources that you need to to do it. But there are always there are always pragmatic solutions that can be can be found, and it's not always about you know throwing lots of money at things. It's about like you've like you mentioned 
some continuous improvement, people to be actively thinking uh, a bit more. And to your point, yeah, emp- empathy goes a really long way. You know, it's 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 been a theme running throughout this this podcast about active listening, understanding where people are coming from, not trying to sell that we can we can flip this from where it is to being over here being really brilliant over overnight because that's not what happens. And you know, I find it at times when I'm dealing with with clients who perhaps are right at the beginning of their health and safety journey it's it's just explaining that you you can get here um but let's focus on you know getting this getting the foundations in place first and then we can we can build on that and i don't know i often get um you know people saying well okay what what measures do we need to have in place here um to show that we're we're doing this and and if they're at the beginning of their journey well it's like well let's let's pick some easier easier measures so once you can hit those then we can change them up for something a little bit more a little bit more meaningful and you know when we're looking at the kind of the proactive measures and people are like well okay i want to know how many we're going to go and do all these fire risk assessments now you know what measures do we need to to do there i said well well let's start off with just getting them done you know that could be a, that could be a measure let's have them done first and once once they're done and we've got a pattern here then we can focus on well okay how many outstanding actions are in the high medium and low category and then we can worry about once we've nailed that bit well now how quickly are we actioning those uh, and, and, and we're addressing them but you know if you try and do everything at once it's just not going to happen because people you know it's like the classic my classic thing of if i'm if i'm writing a list of things that i want to do i, I like the ticking it off process and if i then do something that wasn't on the list i like adding it on so that i can tick it off afterwards but it's it's being able to you know see progress and that's not necessarily just this huge great goal that i've got at the end of it it's where are the little things that are um, that are on the journey to getting there. I think focusing on progress is really interesting because um, <clears throat> uh, if you look at my area, for example, and you go back to the Riddor uh, data, it's it's flat. It's been flat for the last 12 years. So we're not showing any progress. So part of this, uh, in terms of my sort of pitch for want of better term to people, is, well, look, you know, you shouldn't be, I, I use the term safety crab. So, you know, you don't want to be a safety crab. A safety a crab is going sideways. If your if your data is all going sideways, that to me is not good because we should be seeking to continually improve. Um, so actually, we did a survey of um, safety leaders and we talked. We asked them what could prompt you to make uh, to take more action on um, slips and falls. And most people said if our accident rates increased, but very few people said if our accident rates were flat. And so that's a little mindset thing that I try to put across that you know. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be a crab, you know. We should be uh, we should be trying to dive rather than skirt along sideways. Um, but again, that's that's just something that is a bit of a mindset, and I think um, is, is a positive mindset to have to, to be continually looking to improve. And it's a really interesting, really interesting one. I've been in lots of different health and safety committees over the years, where you know we're just focusing on the same. You can almost copy and paste it uh, in the way that it goes. Let's review the accident statistics. Oh, aren't we doing? Aren't we doing well, etc. And it's about it's challenging that. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think about any type of um, incident, you know, if you're operating a single site, the chances are that you might not have, you know, that incident happening, you know, for years on end. If you've got 10,000 sites, then it's going to be happening daily, you know, in many cases. Um, but obviously the flip side to that is if you're operating one site, the cost and speed and hassle of in- implementing control measures is quite simple. Whereas if you've got 10,000 sites, it can become... Uh, a bit more of a, of, a, of a headache so you have to again um, understand where people are coming from yeah it's kind of a nice point to wrap up there and that that's it's a challenge for as much as the industry as it is for you know business leaders to 
you know look at look at safety as something that is good for is good for business you know there are you know, well we don't we, we talk about that for uh, for hours on 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 why it's in why it's important but, you know they they need to to recognize that that is the case and like you said it's it's as much as a continuous improvement as trying to be more efficient in the way you manage your systems and your and your processes and there's you know there's advantages that that hit onto the bottom line if you can do that well and you know the challenge for for the health and safety professional is to you know understand their pain understand the way that they do things and be able to present it in a way that will you know get the results that you that you want and also um if you don't get the results that you want don't give up you know um be be prepared to um i try not to try not to use the word fail too much because fail sounds so absolute you know be prepared to fall but you know get back up and go at it again just don't slip and fall because that's i don't like just don't, don't slip like and that. yes yes that's probably uh, that probably wasn't a great one for uh to, to use in a conversation <laughs> with you. um but uh yeah no, excellent look, uh, no, um, no, nothing is nothing is easy nothing is straightforward nothing goes in a straight line there's always humps and bumps and bruises and scrapes and cuts and you know and experiences that you need to learn from but look at it as you know to to use an analogy around health and safety we we want people many people would say we want people to uh, record positive events okay Um, rather than only recording when things go badly let's record when things are going well and let's give that reinforcement to the team or flip it on its head you know think about the fact that not not everything is always going to go well there are going to be those issues, and so you've just got to have that resilience to to, to push through those and, and know that you know you're you're on the path to where you want to be. You're doing some great stuff in the world, and it will work out for you in the end. Look, thanks so much for joining me, Christian. Really appreciate your time. It's been a great insight, and then you know, hopefully the listeners have got to quite a lot of takeaways there that they can you know, can reflect on and and try and implement. So, no, brilliant. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Risk Sleep Repeat. If you'd like to appear on the show, if there's a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you want to let us know your thoughts, please do so using the hashtag Risk Sleep Repeat or get in touch via our website at praxis42.com. 